Chapter 4 Operant Conditioning Go! Crap, that fast! There's another! I got it! Red throws a third time, letting go too soon and sending the Pokeball slightly off target. Not that it matters. The small brown Pokemon hops out of the way, wings flapping to send the ball farther out of reach. The gusts of wind send dirt into Red's eyes, and he covers his face with an elbow while holding onto his cap's bill to keep it on his head. When the wind stops, he looks up to see the small flock of Pidgey swiftly departing. Blue walks over, breathing hard. Ah, damn birds, he mutters as he brushes dirt from his eyes, hair a wind-blown mess. His squirtle approaches from behind, staring after the departed Pidgey for a moment before dropping onto all fours and investigating the grass around them. Squirtle managed to hit any of them? Red asks as he walks around to reclaim his Pokeballs and shrink them. A couple, but they recovered too fast, and then she ran out of water. Blue pulls a bottle of it out and begins squirting some into the turtle's open mouth. Red hadn't summoned Charmander, wanting to avoid further injury unless necessary. He looks over to where Leaf and Bulbasaur are and sees her picking up one of her own Pokeballs before heading to them. No luck either, huh? Red asks. Nope, this isn't as easy as in The Sims. Or we're getting the equivalent of a lot of bad RNG. We're definitely going to need to wear them down first. Which would be simple enough if they'd stay still and fight. Blue says. Red sighs and sits in a patch of short grass, crossing his leg beneath him and drinking from Blue's water bottle. The other two sit in a rough triangle, Blue rubbing Squirtle's shell. Biggie aren't as aggressive as Rattata, Red says, unless we find a nest and actually start messing with their eggs. They have no reason to stick around rather than just fly off if threatened. Maybe we hold off on catching one for now? Leaf says. Blue shakes his head. I want a flying type before we reach Viridian Forest, unless you want to risk getting dive-bombed by some beedrill without a way to fight back. What's a beedrill? Leaf asks, and Blue pulls out his Pokedex. A large, winged, black and yellow insect, all sharp stingers and pointed claws, appears on the screen. Uh, yeah, that might be a problem. So, ideas? We could go to Viridian City and get a net launcher, then come back, Red says. It's one of the items on his eventual wish list of gear, and he'd looked at some prices online. They cost $500, but we can rent one for 130 a day. Blue scratches his neck. Uh, that's not bad. How much do you have? After buying all my gear, I've got $237 left. You? 
I have about five hundred saved up. Leaf holds her purse. I brought four hundred for the trip, so we could all pull in to rent one for forty-three each, or buy it for a hundred and sixty-seven, give or take a dollar. So, it's an option, though a pricey one, Red says. Blue nods. I was hoping to save for critical supplies until I can earn some cash through catches or matches, so let's make that plan B. Any other ideas? Leaf looks around at the tall grass, some of it as high as their shoulders while seated. A trap of some kind? I can hide with Bulbasaur in some of the tall grass, try to grab one with vines if it gets close. Might take hours of waiting, Blue says. What if we lure them, uh, dig a hole, make a false cover and put some berries on it? Red runs his fingers through the grass. Even if they were heavy enough to break it, they'd just fly out before we got close. I like the berry idea, though. Maybe combine it with leaves? Bulbasaur sits under the trap? Or, better yet, we can find a berry bush to hide him in, Leaf says. They agree and get up to look for a good spot. It isn't hard to find berry bushes, but most are stripped of ripe fruit by wild Pokemon. A few Rattata and Pidgey run from the trio as they walk through the tall grass, and, eventually, they find a berry-laden bush with three Rattata around it. They seem willing to stand and fight at first, until Leaf brings Bulbasaur out. They flee before Red can bring out Charmander, and Blue throws a Pokeball at the retreating rodents, missing one by a hair. Not a word, Blue says. It's a lot easier when they're knocked out, Red offers with a grin. Okay, Bulbasaur, in you go. Leaf points at the berry bush. Her Pokemon walks over to it and begins to feed. No, stop! Bulbasaur hesitates a moment, then continues, and Leaf pulls a spray bottle out of her pocket and squirts a mist of water in Bulbasaur's face, saying, Stop! again. He recoils, blinking in surprise, and looks at his trainer with a mournful sound. I guess we didn't think this through, Blue says balancing a spinning Pokeball on one finger. He's gonna just eat the berries when we move away. Give me a bit and he won't, Leaf says. This is a good training opportunity. Blue looks sceptical. You're gonna train him not to eat berries. Might want to make sure he's full first. It's not too hard. I just have to reward him with something he wants more. Red turns to Leaf, impressed anew. You've studied operant conditioning. He started to appreciate that Leaf had probably worked at least as hard to prepare for this journey as he and Blue. That Pavlov thing? Blue asks. That's classical conditioning. Operant conditioning deals with positive and negative reinforcement. Blue stares blankly at him. I'm pretty sure we covered it in school together. 
Oh. Blue spins his pokeball again, arm moving slightly to keep it balanced. Ah, must have been sick that day. Red sighs as Leaf smiles and puts her pack down to dig through it. Okay, so, Professor Skinner was studying behavior theory and was focused on the way Pokemon learn. He put Rattata in a box which had a mechanism to release food, along with a lever and a light display or speakers. This is fascinating, Blue says in a monotone. Do you want to know what she's going to do or not? I was hoping for a ten-second answer, not an hour-long lecture. It's been twenty seconds, if that, and only counting your interruption. What? I said it was fascinating. Then you get all huffy. Anyway, Red continues, deciding to simplify. He was able to train the Pokemon to press the lever after seeing the right light display or hearing the right sound, but not when seeing or hearing the wrong one. The lever would only dispense food if they pressed it after the right signal. That was their reward to reinforce the desired behavior. If they did it after the wrong one, they'd get a small uh, shock or something. That aversive stimulus was the punishment. Leaf finds and takes out a small box of poker buffs. The round cakes are colourful, and their scent fills the air as soon as she opens the wrapping. Bulbasaur and Squirtle sniff, their gazes locking on the brown and orange pastry Leaf holds up. Okay, that's starting to sound familiar, Blue says. It's like how we link new commands with Pokemon attacks. Right, but the principle works with more than just battle commands, Red says. In fact, it works for pretty much anything, and even the least intelligent of Pokemon respond to it to some degree. Nor are humans exempt. Red had made the connection to his own learning not to touch a hot stove as a toddler before finding the studies that supported it. According to behavior theory, pretty much all learned behavior is the result of reinforcements and associations. So, that water bottle, that's the punishment, Blue says, and the Pokepuff is the reward. Right, the water bottle is a positive punishment because it adds an experience to minimize behavior. The Pokepuff is a positive reinforcement because it reinforces a behavior. Positive and negative are used in a technical sense here to mean add or subtract, and not to place a subject judgment on what's being added or subtracted. A negative reinforcement would still be something that reinforces a Pokemon's behavior, which means whatever was subtracted was noxious, or made it more difficult to do it. Leaf positions Bulbasaur in front of the bush again, and waits until Bulbasaur begins to stretch his neck out for a berry, then says, Stop! Bulbasaur hesitates again, and when he resumes reaching for a berry, he gets another spray of mist. It takes another few repetitions of this until Bulbasaur stops reaching for berries on his own. Isn't this gonna make him stop eating berries altogether? 
Blue asks. It could, with enough reinforcement, Red admits. But she can find Junit. Watch. Leaf offers Bulbasaur a berry from her hand, and, after a moment, he eats it. He doesn't get squirted, and after she offers him another one, he's faster to eat it, which earns him a scratch behind his ear. The real behavior she's trying to teach him doesn't have to do with berries, but to respond to her saying stop, Red explains. He recognizes the word to some degree, thanks to previous training, but isn't used to hearing it when doing mundane things. He's also learning not to eat berries unless it's offered to him. Leaf stays still and silent for a long time, and Bulbasaur doesn't reach for any berries. Finally, he begins to stir and stretch his neck out for one, and when Leaf says, Stop! He does so right away. Good boy! Leaf breaks off a piece of the pokepuff and feeds it to him, then scratches him behind the ear. Who's a good Bulbasaur? You are! Squirtle's watching the interaction attentively, and eventually walks over to Blue and looks up at him expectantly. What? Blue says, sounding defensive as he catches his ball to stop it spinning. I don't have any poker puffs. I'll pick some up in Viridian. Squirtle doesn't seem particularly assured, and makes a gurgling sound, plodding off toward the berry bush to eat some. Bulbasaur watches Squirtle, but doesn't join her, earning him another piece of puff. By the time the Pokepuff is gone, Bulbasaur is obediently sitting in the middle of the berry bush without reaching for any of them. Part of it might be that he's less hungry, but Red knows that Pokepuffs are designed as treats and aren't particularly filling. Leaf brushes her hands off on her pants. Now we just need to train him to grab anyone that tries to eat the berries. She eyes Squirtle, then Blue, and both trainers speak at the same time. Bulbasaur, bind! Squirtle, withdraw! Bulbasaur's vines wrap around Squirtle, but have trouble keeping a grip on the smooth shell. Bulbasaur, stop! Squirtle, back up! Blue slowly circles the berry bush with Squirtle, then points to a clump of berries. Eat! Bulbasaur, bind! Squirtle dodges the vines and grabs a mouthful of berries, but has to jump back to avoid them again. When Bulbasaur moves forward to pursue, Leaf tells him to stop, and Bulbasaur does. Good job, Squirtle! Blue rubs the turtle's smooth shell while Leaf feeds Bulbasaur part of a new Pokepuff, then hands the rest to Blue to feed Squirtle. Red watches them for a moment, then unclips Charmander's Pokeball and looks at its smooth surface. Inside, he knows Charmander's physical state is suspended while his mind is busy with the Pokeball's virtual reality a pre-programmed experience akin to dreaming. He pulls out his Pokedex and aligns their lens so he can see what Charmander's doing. 
the screen displays a stadium. Charmander is facing down an assortment of Pokemon as Red, or rather, the recording of him that had been programmed into the decks at Professor Oak's lab, gives Charmander various commands. It won't make the Pokemon any stronger, but Red knows the virtual training will subconsciously help Charmander become even more used to his instructions and fighting in general. He reclips Charmander to his belt and pulls out his new Rattata's ball, doing the same thing. Instead of the more advanced scenario Charmander is experiencing, the Rattata isn't facing any foes, but simply learning basic commands. Red watches her tackle a mannequin, then begin biting it as his virtual self instructs her to. This sort of virtual training doesn't form as strong a bond as training in person, and there's less room for creativity or learning for the trainer, but it's a convenient method of allowing virtually anyone to capture and train Pokémon of their own. Red remembers learning about Pokéball technology at school. Most of the students had just followed the lesson and taken notes at various levels of attention, but Red could barely listen and write at the same time, mind racing with possibilities. He'd finally raised his hand to interrupt the teacher and asked why people couldn't just go into a Pokéball and learn everything through virtual lessons. The class had gone silent, many kids turning to give Red a strange look. People can't go in Pokéballs, dummy, his classmate Becca had said. The teacher had reprimanded her, but then reiterated the well-known point. Pokéballs were for Pokémon. They wouldn't work on people. Red had barely paid attention the rest of the day. He'd never really thought much about the distinction between people and Pokemon, but in those moments it had seemed trivial to him. Surely someday, he'd thought, they would refine the technology to upload humans as data as well. His mind kept coming up with new things such a breakthrough would allow. Near instant travel, protection from imminent danger, the ability to stay suspended the same age for decades and jump ahead in time. Red smiles now, remembering his naivety. It wasn't until years later, when he was reading one of the books Professor Oak had given him, that he'd learned the truth. They can create Pokeballs that work on people. The technology had been available from the very beginning. But the atomization and compression isn't quite so simple for creatures with higher cognitive functions. The first humans who had volunteered to be stored in a Pokeball and then reformed had emerged physically healthy, but severely brain damaged. The book hadn't elaborated further, and Red had done some independent research online to learn the full story. Over the years, the matter compression technology had continued to advance, and occasionally human testing was tried again. Criminals facing the death penalty were offered the choice of entering a Pokeball instead. If they survived with their wits intact, 
their sentence would be lowered to mere life imprisonment. Time and again, the results were the same. At best, a regression of mental state to a toddler's level. At worst, permanent catatonia. Ultimately, the decision was agreed by all levels of government. Pokeballs were for Pokemon. The creation or use of devices that would recognize and store humans became a felony of the greatest magnitude, on par with going renegade, allowing law enforcement to go all out against anyone suspected of doing so. All further research on the topic was put to a halt. Red sighs and puts his Rattata's Pokeball away, the screen of the Pokedex going still as the lenses unalign. As amazing as technology is, he can't help but wonder what new things humanity could accomplish, if they were willing to take more risks. All right, that should do it, Leaf says. She feeds her Pokemon the last bit of another puff through the bush's branches, and gets to her feet. Let's get some distance and let Bulbasaur do his thing. They find a grassy knoll not too far from the bush and lie or crouch behind it, heads just high enough to watch the bush. Blue rolls three shrunken pokeballs around on his palm by flexing his fingers while Leaf scans the skies. Red scans through his Pokedex's map looking ahead at the locations they would soon travel to and refreshing his memory of the Pokemon native to there. Some monkey to the west of Viridian City. Would be useful to catch one, though they're rare. Lots of Weedle in the forest, not to mention Kakuna and Beedrill. Better stock up on poison antidotes. The sun continues to inch along the sky, and eventually, Blue excuses himself to duck behind some trees. While he's gone, Leaf turns to Red. So, what does it take to become a professor in Kanto? Red scratches his chin where a blade of grass is tickling. First, to become a registered Pokemon researcher, I need to contribute an independent article based on my observations and experiences with one of my Pokemon. I can submit it through the Pokedex, but I have to wait for it to be peer-reviewed to be accepted. Can it be on anything? Red nods. Pretty much. I just need to discover or verify something new. Once I'm a researcher, I can advance by increasing my H-index. That's the relationship between number of papers published and the times you've been cited, right? Yeah, so the more papers I publish, the more chances of being cited by others, but high-quality research will likely shoot my score way up. Eventually, I'll become an instructor, then an associate professor, and be able to work in the lab under Professor Oak. And then, when do you get your own lab? Red shrugs. Could take years. I need to demonstrate knowledge of every major species in the region to apply to become a professor, and once I pass that test, 
my dissertation has to disprove or overturn a previous theory that's already been established. Leaf gives a low whistle. Every species in the region. That's a lot of work. Yeah, but I can start making money for articles I contribute or review once I'm a researcher, so it's incrementally rewarding long before I reach the end. Do you make a lot? It depends on the discovery, but not generally. The rewards are structured more toward verifying and disproving than submitting. And you weren't able to do any as part of your apprenticeship? Get a head start on it. My work in the lab involved a lot of paperwork and assistance of others in their research, so I got a chance to observe firsthand the proper procedures and format and standards which will help a lot in doing my own research and getting it accepted. So, to keep publishing papers, you'll have to study and catch a lot of Pokemon. More than gym leaders have, even. Or spend a lot of time with a few dozen, yeah. He smiles. Discovering new species would put me on the fast track, though, so let me know if you spot any. She grins. For a cut of the funds, sure. Sounds fair, I... Look! Leaf points as a ratata approaches the berry bush. They watch as it inches closer. Closer? Then Leaf yells out, Bind! As it begins nibbling at some berries. Bulbasaur's vines whip out and catch the startled Rattata, holding it up off the ground to prevent it from running. Leaf and Red dash to the bush where the squirming rodent is trying to twist around and bite the vines holding it. Bulbasaur, tackle! The vines slam the Rattata down and unwind just as Bulbasaur rockets out from the bush and tackles it. It tumbles away in a daze, and Leaf's Pokeball quickly scans it, then flies through the air and snaps it up. The lens blinks red, then stills. Nice job, Red says. You trained him really well. Thanks. I used to practice with my mum's Pokemon. Leaf picks her new Rattata up with a grin then pulls her Pokedex out and registers it. Once it's programmed to her trainer ID, she clips it to her belt, where it will begin the basic training program Red's Rattata is going through. Red brushes his fingers over his own Rattata's ball. At least one of us should nickname ours, in case we have them out at the same time. Good idea. I'll try to think of one. Leaf crouches down to rub Bulbasaur's head and feed him another Pokebuff. Good boy, Bulbasaur. Such a good boy. They hear running from behind and turn to see Blue, one hand holding up his pants as the other grips a Pokeball. What happened? Did I miss it? He looks around wildly, breathing hard. Leaf and Red glance at each other before collapsing in laughter. Blue blinks at them, then scowls, cheeks darkening as he puts the Pokeball away and finishes zipping and buttoning his pants.
Eventually, Red recovers enough to explain, and they retreat to the hill after Leaf instructs Bulbasaur to return to the bushes. So, now I'm the only one without a second Pokemon! Blue grumbles as he settles down again. Don't worry, you'll get the Pidgey for sure, Leaf says. Red grins. Unless you have to go pee again. You did get the chance to finish, right? Leaf buries her laughter in her arms as Blue punches Red in his good shoulder, and the two begin to roll across the knoll, scuffling. It's only when Leaf catches her breath and tells them they'll scare away the Pokemon that they disengage and flop back down beside her. Red nurses a bruised rib where Blue's knee had caught him, while Blue examines a tear in his sleeve. The clouds drift across the sun, darkening the fields as wind sends ripples through the grass. Red checks the time, noting that they have another two hours of sun left, plenty to reach Viridian City by nightfall, though only if the Pidgey shows up within the next thirty minutes. It takes ten, though it's not alone. Leaf gives a small gasp, then points. Three Pidgey wheel in the distance, dipping and looping around each other, steadily making their way closer. Within moments, they land and begin to hop over to the bush. Blue curses and Leaf bites her lower lip. Red's hand falls to his Pokeball. What would the other two Pidgey do when Bulbasaur grabs the third? Run or attack? The bushes would provide some cover, but outnumbered the way he is, Bulbasaur might be seriously hurt before they can reach him. Red unclips Charmander's Pokeball, though he doesn't release him yet, as the explosive sound might scare them away. We'll throw them, he whispers to Leaf. Bulbasaur will grab one, and when Charmander and Squirtle show up, the other two might run for it or get distracted. Blue nods, and Leaf takes a deep breath, eyes on the Pidgey. They hop closer. Another hop. And then one pecks at the bushes, grabbing a berry. Bind! Red leaps to his feet and throws as hard as he can, yelling, Charmander, go! As Blue does the same with Squirtle. The Pokeballs soar through the air as the three Pidgey explode into action, flapping and chirping in alarm as one of them struggles against the vines holding it. Bulbasaur keeps his target from flying away, but the other two are already pecking his vines to free their companion. The wrapped Pidgey gets its second wing free and begins to flap, lifting itself a bit. Bulbasaur gets dragged from concealment as he tries to hold on to the Pidgey, and the two free birds immediately shift focus to attack him with their beaks and talons. Red and Blue's Pokeballs hit the ground. Bounce and light flashes as they discharge their contents, sailing back up into the air. Charmander and Squirtle seem a bit disoriented at first from the commotion five feet from them, but quickly shift into combat stances, Squirtle rising onto her hind legs as Charmander's claws extend.
Charmander, ever- uh, Scratch! Red yells as he runs, remembering just in time not to use a fire attack. So inconvenient. Squirtle, water gun! Charmander leaps at the nearest Pidgey and begins to claw at it while Squirtle blasts at the other with a jet of water. For a second there, Red had been worried Squirtle would hit Charmander, but the turtle continues to shoot jets of water at the unengaged bird as Charmander knocks away the lower one. Blue, I'm going to let it go! Be ready! Leaf yells from behind them as they run toward the bush. By the time they reach the scuffle, Blue has a Pokeball in each hand, pressing their buttons to expand them and pointing their lens at the Pidgeys. Precious seconds pass as he tries to keep them steady on the birds, shifting his arms slightly as the two free Pidgey fly around and occasionally dive at their Pokemon. Gotta keep their wings busy. Charmander, bite! Charmander latches onto his opponent's shoulder with his teeth. Stuck, the Pidgey pecks at the lizard's face, and Red's heart leaps into his throat as he sees blood on his beak. His eyes! Charmander, tail whip! Charmander's tail coils around him and presses against the Pidgey, causing it to trill and flail frantically to escape the flames rather than continue its assault. Squirtle keeps the third Pidgey at bay with bursts of water every time it attempts to get close, while their target continues to drag Bulbasaur farther away as it tries to lift off. Bulbasaur's feet leave the ground for a moment before he settles back down, digging his feet in and slamming the Pidgey against the ground without much effect. Hollow bones don't have much mass. Finally, a pair of dings sound. Do it! Blue yells. Bulbasaur, tackle! Bulbasaur draws his vines in and runs forward as he pulls the Pidgey toward him. He releases it just as he hits, but the bird is already airborne and barely flinches. The tackle does turn it around, however, and its first few flaps aim it toward them instead of away. Blue throws, then shifts the left ball to his right hand and throws again, aiming higher. The Pidgey climbs over the first ball, only to be hit by the second. Yes! Blue pumps his fist as the bird disappears in a flash of light. Charmander continues to struggle with the second Pidgey, and Red can see both Pokemon tiring. Leaf, I'm going to tell Charmander to back up, he says, positioning himself behind the lizard. Get them all ready and catch that one. Got it! She runs forward until she's just a few feet away and expands a ball, then aims its lens. Can't get a lock with Charmander so close! Charmander, back! The red lizard releases his target and scampers toward Red, favouring a foreleg as blood runs down his face. The Pidgey flaps its wings and tries to gain altitude, but Leaf's ball pings its lock, and she throws it, hardly needing to aim from so close. The ball hits the second Pidgey and bounces off it before opening and sucking it inside as it falls. The third Pidgey chirrups, then wheels around and flies away.
Red is already kneeling beside Charmander, a potion in one hand and a small towel in the other. Hold still, Charmander. You did so well, he whispers, heart pounding as he wipes blood away from the lizard's face. He notices his hand shaking and takes a deep breath, trying to steady himself. Stupid adrenaline. Go away. I need to focus. Charmander's eyes are closed, so he sprays the potion onto the wounds he can see. His Pokemon slowly relaxes, and Red pulls out his water bottle, wetting his towel and gingerly wiping around the wounds. One, two, three. Three peck marks, and when Charmander opens his eyes, they're undamaged. One particularly bad one had hit the lizard's previous wound, and Red uses the rest of the potion on the spot, watching as the blood flow slows and forms a dark scab, new pink flesh already shrinking the wound around the edges. Red lets out a breath and gingerly hugs his Charmander, careful of its tail. It snuggles against his chest, claws sharp but not piercing his skin. How is it? Blue says after a minute. Red looks up at Blue. He's okay. Bulbasaur? Same, Leaf says, putting her potion bottle away. They got him pretty bad, though, and the plant on his back is shredded a bit. I'd like to get him to a Pokemon Center to make sure there's no permanent damage. Yeah. Red slowly disentangles himself from Charmander, and feeds him a handful of berries while Blue retrieves their Pokeballs from the grass. He hands Red the one with the flame on it, and the three trainers withdraw their Pokemon. Then Blue registers his new Pidgey. Red smiles, the elation of victory filling him now that he knows his Pokemon is okay. Nice catch, man. For a second there, I thought you'd grab two. Blue chuckles. <laughs> if Squirtle knocked down the third, I'd have gone for it. But I wanted insurance against the first guy. Got a sense for how they dodged balls from our earlier Sockfest. Who's getting the second one? Uh, she is. Red says at the same time Leaf says, Red. They look at each other. I just got a new Pokemon, Leaf says. So? I did too, a few hours ago. Charmander's the one that fought it. I'd be happy to take it, Blue offers. Red ignores him. You and Bulbasaur are the reason we got these guys at all. Leaf hesitates. Are you sure? Red makes himself smile. He wants a flyer. He can't deny that. But Pidgey are fairly common Pokemon, and he's sure he'll get one eventually. There are other alternatives coming up soon anyway. I'm sure. Uh, go for it. Leaf grins and hugs him. Thank you. Red blinks, an indistinct and uncomfortable feeling rising in his chest. Um, it's okay. 
What? It's okay? Leaf lets him go and collects the Pokeball. As it downloads her trainer ID, she presses a button on the Pokedex. Pokedex, nickname Crimson. Pidgey, nickname confirmed. Crimson. The Pokedex replies in a robotic but somehow cheerful voice. Uploading name recognition exercises. Estimated time to completion, 14 minutes, 37 seconds. Leaf puts the Pokedex and ball away and looks up at red and blue. Still haven't thought of one for Ratata, she says with a smile. Red scratches his hair beneath his cap, then resettles it over his head, feeling vaguely embarrassed by the homage. Well, we've got time to think of names on the way to Viridian. Should I name my Ratata Green? No, that's stupid. They collect their things and walk on as the sun slowly paints the sky red and gold.